Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 77 of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here with Kurt Mortensen, ready to roll on a a sort of cold February day, but we're happy to be here with you. We've got a new little bit of a series that we're kicking off. Kurt, how's it going? Hey, I'm doing well and just enjoying the week. It's kind of a bit of slow couple of weeks, but hey, the good news is I hope you're sitting down. I was featured, I was interviewed, and I appeared in the Municipal Sewer and Water Magazine. Well, that's how you know you've made it. (laughs) It doesn't matter if I've been on CNN or (laughs) Fox News or any of these others, but hey, I made this one, so I don't even remember doing the interview, actually, but there it was. They sent me a copy. Municipal (laughs) Sewer Magazine. No, Municipal Sewer and Water. Oh, okay. So there you go. Now you know there's a magazine for everything. Well, we mentioned some of the weirdest journals and magazines on this show. That's so our listeners can get out there and know it's personal development time. They can learn about anything. Well, it just goes to show you, you need persuasion for anything, even if you were in the municipal uh, utility industry. So there you go. That's exactly what the article talked about, how we all persuade for a living. doesn't matter if you're dealing with sewer, with people, or sewage people, or any type (laughs) of person. You need, I don't know, how to persuade and influence. Uh, all right. All right. Municipal Sewer, congratulations, Kurt. That's great. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and dub in some applause for the show? I know the listeners are all applauding like crazy right now that you just can't hear it. So do it for yourself. And apologies on my end. I am recording from the road today out looking at houses and persuading people to sell me their house. So, hey, yeah. we all persuade every day. Although it didn't go so well this morning, I got stood up. It's hard to persuade when the client doesn't show up. Yeah, if they don't pick up the phone or answer your emails or show up to their appointment. It's uh, pretty tough to persuade. I was kicking myself. That was I usually at the beginning of the day call and confirm everything, and I didn't do it, and I got bit because of it. And uh, there, there you go. So we're going to record from the road today. No problemo. We've got a geeky article moment coming up in just a moment that ties in nicely with Valentine's Day. Hope you all did well there on Valentine's Day. (laughs) My wife and I continued our annual tradition of take out Chinese and watching a movie at our house. You can't go wrong with that. We always go like the day before that afternoon because it's just nuts trying to get to a restaurant and waiting forever during Valentine's Day. I don't get this. When you go to a restaurant and it's a two-hour wait... And there's all these people standing around waiting. I'm like, I came out to eat, not sit around and be hungry and grumpy for two hours. I don't get why anybody waits that long for food. Yeah, there are very few restaurants that I'll wait that long. There's got to be pretty good restaurants for you to wait 15 minutes for food. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody, Kurt does not like waiting at all. If, if I'm on the road with Kurt, hey, you want to go eat? First question, what's the wait? What's the wait? That's right. Yeah. I'd rather sit in his hotel room and, like, eat the hotel soap or something than he would wait in line <laughs> hey the soap's tasty it makes my breath fresh yeah is that what it does that's great <laughs> yes. and my mom used to wash my mouth out with it when i was little yeah i've had that too lava soap is the worst for that yeah pottiness don't have the potty mouth and it won't be a problem well yeah <laughs> wanna, i want to remind the listeners 
universityofpersuasion.com, right? That's where you can go for lots of great free stuff to further your persuasion journey. Or want to give us some money for less than the cost of a Honda Civic? We have some great options for you to continue to learn, develop, be held accountable. It's good stuff. You really should check it out if you persuade for a living, which you do. Otherwise, you probably just listen to random podcasts for fun. So let's get the show kicked off. Kurt, why don't you cue up the Urkel? Urkel, go! (laughs) All right, Valentine's. Was it love or was it lust? Kurt is going to let you know. What's up, Kurt? (laughs) Well, this was some studies done at the University of Chicago. They're like, okay, when someone looks at you and you look at their eyes, is that love or is that lust? And I guess that's something that we all need to know in that instant thing that happens when people make eye contact. So what happens is when someone looks at you and it focuses on the body, it's probably more sexual in nature. But if it's more around the face and that eye contact and the smiling, they say that's probably more love. And there's kind of a strange science here. They're kind of going back and forth. They were doing MRIs and they were trying to find out different things. And so... In the University of Geneva, and this was in the Journal of Psychological Science. I told you we do weird magazines. Yeah, that's right. Here's another one for you. And they looked at a series of black and white photographs of people they'd never met. And these were people about the same age. And they were just looking at photos on how people were interacting with each other. And this wasn't getting very, wasn't sexual in nature. There was no nudity or anything like that. And so when they sat in this front of the computer and looked at these photographs, they had to decide rapidly about each photograph and the person in the photograph as far as was this a a photograph of lust or was it romantic love? So they looked at the eye tracking data from these studies and the differences in eye movement patterns and different things and what it came down to. So people tended to visually fixate on the face when it was romantic like we talked about before. But when there was images that invoked sexual desire, the subject eyes moved from face to fixate on different parts of the body for both male and female participants. So it's all about the eyes. The studies show that when you meet somebody and they're looking at your face and the smile's there, that's probably true love. If the eyes tend to wander before they meet your face, that might be a little lust or something else. So now you've been educated to know the difference between eye contact between love and lust. I think that's one of those duh articles, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Obviously, if they never look at your face and they're looking at other things, <laughs> probably lust. But if they're focusing on your face and they're genuinely interested to see you, it's probably more love. But people picked it out real fast when looking at photographs of other people. That's the interesting part how instinctively, subconsciously they could tell with pretty good accuracy on a photograph on a computer that they didn't get a long time to look at. They could tell whether it's love or lust. So there's other things kind of happening there, too, where people could pick it out pretty fast. I'd like to see a breakdown of male and female there. I bet you it was a lot more prevalent with males. They're always the lookers, aren't they? No, that's what I thought, too. But it said it was a mix of males and females. So somehow they were able to pick out love or lust pretty quick. Although with females, they can pick that up probably a lot quicker than males can because they're better at picking up some of those subconscious triggers, some of those nonverbal gestures. Okay, then. So if you're Valentine, well, look, Valentine's is over. You know what it was by now. (laughs) (laughs) I think you figured it out. I don't have to tell you. All right. Thanks for that geeky article moment, Kurt. (laughs) You bet. We're going to get into uh, what we call the persuasion IQ Because having a high persuasion IQ, knowing a lot about that science and and that art, 
is very important and it breaks down into a lot of things. And Kurt has developed a test, an actual test called the Persuasion IQ. So we're gonna give you a big cheat sheet as to how you can do better on that test. We're gonna break persuasion down into some of these core components. And so we're actually gonna give you the question from the Persuasion IQ and break down the answer and give you the right answer. Correct, Kurt? That is correct. This is based on a lot of research, especially when I was researching the book Persuasion IQ, to kind of come up with an assessment as far as helping people really understand the world of persuasion and influence. Sounds good. Sounds good. So what is the first question on the Persuasion IQ test? So the first one we're going to talk about, here's the question right here, is what technique creates the most urgency, the most scarcity with people? Now, here's the list to choose from. The first one is creating a deadline. Second one is limited space. Third one's restricting freedom. And the fourth one is they might lose out. So I don't know if we need a drum roll here. They all create urgency and scarcity. The question is what creates the most urgency and scarcity? Deadlines, limited space, restricting freedom, or they might lose out. The answer is the third one, restricting freedom. When you tell someone they can't have something, you restrict their freedom, they're not qualified, they're not good enough for it, other people want it more than them, that creates the most scarcity and urgency is by restricting freedom. I don't want to get into semantics, but I'm going to. So how is restricting freedom, maybe you answered it, how is it different than somebody might lose out or limited space? Well, let's go through each one of those as far as kind of how they work. We'll kind of explain that. Now, when you restrict freedom, what it does is people's desires goes up. They want it more. That's what scarcity does. So when you create a scenario where you tell your prospect the offer is only good for so long, they have to act now, they might lose out. When you walk through a clearance store, you might see sold signs on furniture, somebody else wants it. It's all part of restricting freedom. And there could be some overlap there. But if you want to see, okay, well, we're only taking five memberships for this country club. Let me see if you qualify for this committee. Let me see if you're able to do that. Or even banks do this. You have to qualify for the loans. And that's what's interesting about banks or even colleges. They need your business, but they restrict your freedom to see if you qualify. You have to persuade them for them to loan you money, which they need to do for their business. And that's restricting freedom. Limited space and numbers. If they're competing for limited resource to where there's only 100 left, limited supplies, I might miss out. That would work out. We all know what a deadline is, and no matter what you do in the world of persuasion and influence, you have to have a deadline, a point of no return. This is good for six months. The sale ends today. Taxes are due April 15th. Whatever it is, that is the deadline, and those really help out. And then might lose out. That could adapt a little bit with restricting freedom, but when they feel that infomercial where if they don't order it now they'll never see it again that could be a source of it but if you could really kind of restrict them that where they have to qualify or they might not be able to get into the country club those type of things tends to pull better when you're restricting freedom or using scarcity now we could do a whole bunch of shows on the blunders that come from this, because I think it's common knowledge that you need to do that, that you need to restrict freedom. Pe people probably blend all of this scarcity stuff together, even though these things are different. But I mean, you've probably seen it like me a lot where 
a salesperson or a company who clearly wants to sell as many products as they can, and they don't care who they're selling the product to as long as the money's green, right? And they're mm-hmm. doing this artificial, cheesy, restricting freedom. What's the common denominator there? You know, we've got somebody who is legitimately doing it and the customers are, are buying it. They're going, wow, my freedom is restricted. I'm acting versus people who just roll their eyes and go, come on. I know as well as you do, I can show up tomorrow and pay uh, and you're going to take my money. And I'll tell you what, as far as all the laws of persuasion, scarcity has the highest cheese factor being abused and overused. <laughs> Furniture store going out of business every week. Last you left in your size. Sale ends today. Yeah, right. And I remember buying, getting ready to buy a car. Everything was great. I said, let me take care of a few things. I'll come back and get it tomorrow. And he's like, nope, someone's going to come look at it tonight. You might not get it. I'm like, dude, whatever. Okay, I'm a trainer. And I came back the next day and it was gone because they bought it. So there's the high cheese factor, but then we've been bitten in the rear end by it before. And so I think we need to put some parameters on this. A, abused, overused, high cheese factor we talked about. B, if you don't create scarcity or urgency or deadline, they will never make a decision. They will never do it. So we're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place here. So we have to use it, but we have to use it in the right way without delving into that provolone cheese, we'll call it today. Or should it be Swiss cheese? I'll let you choose the cheese today. But here's some things. It needs to be legitimate. If it sounds made up, it's not going to work. And it needs to be believable. So a lot of times you need to explain why the decision needs to be done in five days, why they only have 30 days, why when they come back tomorrow it's not going to be there, and stick to your guns. So when it's legitimate and believable and you can explain it to them and it makes sense, then it works very, very well. Right. And that's what people really need to add to this factor instead of saying the sale ends today. You're like, well, whatever. That's what everybody says. Right. <laughs> that's probably how the cheesy furniture store going out of business concept started is that somebody did this. Wow, we got a ton of sales. We don't need to go out of business anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so everybody thought they could try it. So it's not legitimate anymore. But when it is, you're good to go. My wife and I, we went to uh, headquarters for the website uh, overstock.com. And they've got the big overstock warehouse and it's a closeout center where locals can go and you can apparently go buy all of the stuff that people return that was scratched and dented or they just returned it because it wasn't the right color for some reason. And people go crazy for this place. And it was funny. We did a little bit of research on the prices. We got into it. They're just they're not very good prices. (laughs) Okay, but. (laughs) People were buying this stuff like crazy because it, it's such a, a believable story about why it's discounted. That, hey, look, this was overstock.com. It was already discounted. It came back like this. It's going to be gone any second. And people totally fall for it. They do. We can bring in the, the Black Friday sales or that store. And I see it's New York City for once a year. They have a wedding dress sale and people are hitting each other and ripping the dresses and going nuts. And so we see... Strange things happen when it's believable and it's legitimate and they know that you're only having one sale a year. They know there's only five left and that makes perfect sense to them. Then all of a sudden, look out, they want it more than ever. Yeah, that's hard to do on products where, or services where literally you could sell a million of them if you wanted to, right? For example, software is a product mm-hmm. that it's not really going to run out. So... What kinds of ancillary services can you tack on to it? Free support or an upgrade, free upgrade to the next version. 
And I think too, that's one reason why they're always updating software. Granted, it does get better, but they've got to have something new to get that scarcity rolling so people keep buying. Yeah, you could do anything from the support to the upgrades to the guarantee to the number of of units they get depending on the type of software that they're going to use. And that's something that you could add into it because when you're dealing with different types of personalities, a lot of times you, you crank up the scarcity, they resist a little bit more. I always teach that you always use scarcity and you buffer it with a little reward. So yeah, you know, the software price will go up next week, but you know, when you make a decision today, we will double your customer service hours and we'll extend your upgrade to an extra six months. So now there's scarcity prices going up, but you buffer that with a little reward. And then when that's legitimate and believable, look out. When there's a need, when they're looking at it, when they're truly interested, they will purchase. Yeah, yeah. This this happened to me the other day. In fact, this is a little impromptu out of nowhere, Kurt. Why don't you queue up the ninja? Oh, ninja, go. <laughs> okay. The ninja is the department store Nordstrom. I actually went into Nordstrom with my wife and I was looking for a new dress shirt. I like the Nordstrom Smart Care shirts. They don't wrinkle up very badly. And I like those shirts. They last me a long time. So I go over, I'm looking at the shirt. Salesman comes over. Can I help you? Yeah. What's the deal over here? Tell me about this and that and the other. Well, he says, he tells me and he says, and today they're $49.95. And my manager did tell me that they're going back up to $69.95 on Monday, right? Well, at the time, what did I do? Yeah, yeah, whatever, right? Rolled my eyes. Well, I got home and I tried the shirt on and it made me feel like uh, that part in Tommy Boy where Chris Farley is wearing the little jacket and he's really overweight. (laughs) Fat guy in a little coat. (laughs) Fat guy in a little coat. Yeah, that's how I was feeling with All right. So, bought the wrong shirt. (laughs) So, was it the wrong shirt or just not enough exercise? Uh, it's a little. <laughs> just, oh, sorry, sorry. And a little too much food. A little too much. Oh, okay. Food. Just check it. <laughs> so I go back into Nordstrom on Monday to exchange the shirt. And lo and behold, what did I see? These shirts are all marked up to the price that he had said. It was real. Those guys were not messing around. It wasn't some gimmick. So now in the future, do I know? When they tell me, hey, it's going up or it's coming down, do I believe them? Absolutely. Yeah, when you can provide some type of proof or believability, you got bit in the rear in that time. But next time I say it's going to be real. And that's true. All of us persuaders have to stick together. Stick to your guns. When someone comes back the next day and I know you want this sale. Hey, can you give me that? You said promise. No, it's over. It's done. You know, I can do this and this, but that sale is done. Stick to your guns. Have some integrity. It makes the biggest difference because that's what's ruined this law is a lot of people don't stick to their guns. When it's done, it's done. That's the scarcity, that's the urgency, and they don't get that special. You have to make the investment, you have to take the leap of faith and know that some people are just not going to believe you at first, but then when they see that you're a person of your word, this is going to work for you. I mean, this is just, this is the best persuasion technique there is. If you had to just take one, legitimate scarcity beats them all, I think. Yeah, once you have the relationship and that needs there, and they're sitting on the fence, it's a beautiful law that works well. But again, it's legitimate, believable, buffer with a little reward. And, you know, maybe the first time they're going to come back and realize, you know, you were telling the truth that it was only good for that week. Long term, it'll be great for that relationship and what you're able to sell that person. Sounds good. Sounds good. So stay tuned for next week when we will pick another question from the Persuasion IQ test. 
and just give you the cheat sheet. We'll spill all the answers today. The answer was, of course, uh, limiting or restricting freedom to the first answer on the persuasion IQ test. So, Kurt, cue up the blunder. Homer, talk to us. Don't, don't, don't. Okay, so I have sung the praises of this particular company many times on the podcast, and they're actually going to get the blunder today because I feel a little bit violated. Oh, do tell. <laughs> well, you know, when you go into a store and somebody, hey, can I help you? And they, they, they smother you a little bit. These guys, Apple, who I love, took it to the next level. If you've got an iPhone, next time you go into the Apple store, you're going to get an alert on your phone that basically says, hey, we noticed you just came into the Apple store by this stuff. And I just felt totally, completely smothered. <laughs> I, di I didn't mm. like it at all. The, you know, the creep factor went up. And you know, I'd be curious to hear, listeners, if you've had this happen to you, email us at, uh, at the email address, maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com, and let us know, did it creep you out or did you appreciate it? But for me, it creeped me out a little bit. It's, it's enough to have them say, hey, can we help you? It's a whole other thing to be up on your face in your phone telling you, hey, we know you're here. <laughs> we know you're here. Yeah. That's just as bad as a salesperson just come up and holding your hand and wanting to do <laughs> – I know. To help you a little too much, a little too close. That, and that was like from the film Minority Report where – what was it? Tom Cruise who had an eye implant or something. Yeah. yeah. And he walked past this store and says, hello, Mr. Wong. Welcome back. And even though it was the wrong person, that's what it makes me think of is that, wait a minute, too much. So they were scanning – eyes to see who you are to offer different specials which is good in a lot of ways but when you cross that line of the creep out factor too much too soon too quick then it's gonna have the opposite effect yeah this happens to me sometimes where people get mad at me i creep them out because we send a lot of letters to people in order to be able to buy their homes from them and you can tell when you really hit that soft spot somebody calls you how did you get my name and and they don't understand that it's all public, you know, there's such thing as a phone book and, and county records, but they do feel very violated sometimes, the fact that all this information about them uh, is out there. So that's something that I constantly have to, to overcome. I haven't figured out a way around it yet. That's true. I mean, you can imagine somebody calling you up and say, okay, so you live at this address and you have three children and there's their names and their birthdays and uh, this is what they're doing, this is what you're up to. Even though that is public knowledge and you can probably find it, I think that would freak out 99% of the people that you know all that and they don't know that much about you. I think so, and I've got a great blunder about that for next week's show, so we'll make sure Ooh. we cover that. A little suspense and intrigue for the listeners. Is that what yes, you're doing? that suspense and intrigue. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, Kurt, anything you want to add to the show today before we wrap it up? Yeah, let's just kind of review scarcity because most people fear that point of making decision and the human brain just kind of wants to put it off, wants to think about it, wants to deal with it later. And that's important. That's why scarcity is so important. You could have the perfect product at the perfect time. Just adding a little scarcity that we talked about today, helping them make a decision that they would be making anyway down the road. They're going to thank you for it. It's going to make your life a lot easier. So instead of 10 calls, you're making three calls. You and you could create that legitimate scarcity with your product or service it makes a big difference. And so it is. It's one of those tools that's abused and overused. You use it the right way. Remember, legitimate. Remember, make sure it's believable. And then buffer that with a little reward. You'll see amazing things happen with your ability to persuade. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again, everybody. Be sure to tell your friends about the show. Subscribe on iTunes. You just go to the iTunes store and type in Maximize Your Influence. You'll see us there. You can subscribe so that 
Every time we release a new episode, it'll automatically download to your phone or Stitcher Radio as well, the Windows Marketplace. We're on all of these, and we look forward to having you listen to future shows with us. And any comments, questions, feedback, suggestions, or insults can be sent to MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week. See you next week.